Hi, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum, and welcome to McCollum Wellness Radio. Now more than ever, our country needs to learn how to take care of our own health, and it's my mission to empower you on that journey. Please join me each week as I cover these topics and interview experts throughout the field to bring you the answers you need to reach your maximum health potential. Thank you and enjoy the show. Today, Dr. Duncan McCollum interviews his sister, Sudi McCollum, an accomplished design artist. Sudi and Duncan recall their upbringing as kids, growing up with parents who both worked in the visual arts and how this influenced Sudi on her own path towards becoming an artist herself. She shares her passions and inspirations that led her to becoming the successful design artist that she is today. You can view Sudi's design work by visiting her website, sudimccollum.com, S-U-D-I-M-C-C-O-L-L-U-M.com. I can be free, I can be free, I can rise Good afternoon, everybody. This is Dr. Duncan McCollum with McCollum Wellness Radio. And a very, very beautiful day here in Santa Cruz. If you're listening to us on Facebook, sorry it's a little crooked, but uh, things have to start here. Have a great show today. Um, I have a very distinct pleasure of having my big sister on the show with me, Sudi Bell McCollum, a.k.a. Sudi McCollum. And uh, we, um, although it's great to have her up here, unfortunately, we're going to the celebration of life of one of our childhood friends up in the Bay Area tomorrow. But uh, we were talking and we thought it would be a real fun time to, uh, to be here. So, oh, okay. <laughs> Say hi, Sudi. Hi, Sudi. <laughs> oh, no, that's not what I want you to do. So, oh. No, just kidding. Get like this close. Oh, part. real close. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, I thought it would be fun for us to kind of go through some of what our childhood was like, what our life is like, what got us to where we are now. Sudi is a very well-known um, artist, and um, you can find her at sudimccollumdesign. No, just sudimccollum.com is all. sudimccollum.com, yeah. and um, S-U-D-I, McCollum, M-C-C-O-L-L-U-M, uh, dot com. And uh, we'll go into a few things, but... Um, you know, it's really interesting. You guys have listened to me on the air for many years and know a lot of my story about, you know, how I grew up, how I hurt my back, how I became a chiropractor. But, uh, you know, we were very lucky, Sudi and I, to grow up in the Bay Area in Berkeley. And um, even, I I believe it was like one of the best times to be a kid, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. We we would have... Actually, when all of us kids get together for whatever reunions, we all talk about that in our generation we all talk about yeah go ahead we all talk about um how lucky we felt we yeah. were to grow up where we did and when we did yeah we grew up um near the claremont hotel and uh that's in the west north berkeley or what no that's what? not north berkeley it's just i'm gonna get this mic out so you're talking right into oh sorry yeah, that's okay. okay little technical thing here and uh we had it seemed like every night we had 50 kids out playing um, in the town and uh, in the park or in the neighborhood yeah Yeah, it was really fun so um i guess we'll just start with you know sudi what did what stood out to you growing up in the bay area at the time with our with our neighborhood group and um you you know i i was going to ask you and maybe we'll just start with this you know what what got you to be where you are as an artist today what decisions did you make along the way as an artist, or just what do I think about what do I think about where first where we grew up? Yeah, well, go ahead. Whatever's well, on your mind. We just I think I felt pretty. I didn't at the time. When you're a kid, you usually just take everything for granted, pretty much. But we grew up in a really nice neighborhood. There was our mom was an artist. Our dad was an advertising executive. So we were sort of surrounded by visual arts in a way. And mom was very creative, although she was sort of a pill, but. She always provided us with a lot of creative outlets, and not just the kids, but any kid in the neighborhood that wanted to um, 
you know, she would include everybody in any of the activities that we did. So, and it was, it was a beautiful neighborhood. It was safe. We got, to, as a kid, you know, I was mostly concerned with playing as much time playing outside with all the other kids in the neighborhood. You run inside for dinner, you, you gulp that down as fast as you could, and then you head back outside to play again. I mean, mostly as a kid, we were just allowed to be kids. Wow, you know? that is such an amazing statement right there, because right now we know the kids are growing up with the, what they're not learning, reading, writing, and arithmetic in pre, you know, in the elementary school now. And we I won't have even no get idea what they're learning, that, but yeah. You know, I feel like we were very lucky to to grow up when we did. And yeah. our, you mentioned our mom was an artist. And, you know, our mother really came from growing up in a farm, a cotton farm, way back in this little podunk town called Woodville. And uh, during the Depression. Yeah. And she was sent off because they couldn't afford to feed everybody. She was sent to live with an aunt in Oakland. Yeah. And... Um, but she was very determined to make something out of herself. And during the war, she, um, being a good artist, she was actually making maps. Um, yeah, she was a map maker. I also remember, not just during the war, I think that's what she did during the war near the Presidio in San Francisco. Yeah. Because she lived in San Francisco during the war. Um, and uh, But she also did graphic design because I remember in the big house on Berkeley by the Claremont, she had a, an art table set up in the... One or right off the kitchen, and uh, she was designing packaging for. I remember there was Tuttle Cottage Cheese, but also the Planters Peanuts. Right. Um, and so she was, she was a visual artist, but she applied her talents in various different areas, like fine art, but graphic design, and she also taught sculpture at one point and map making. You know, it's all sort of like you have your talent, and if you're just naturally gifted that way, you can steer it in any number of directions and all of you can find pleasure in all of them you know yeah and as a you you mentioned you know our neighborhood and we had our house had like a huge ballroom down below <laughs> yeah. and mom would teach all the doctors from Alda Bates hospital yeah she used to volunteer yeah she used to volunteer at Alta Bates which is a one of the big Berkeley hospitals and uh she always thought that surgeons because they did fine detail of their hands, she just had it in their head. I remember her saying this at the time, that they would be good at sculpture, just hmm. working with their hands, hand to eye. And so she taught sculpture, you know, with clay, not like found objects and all that kind of sculpture. Right. But um, so she, uh, you know, she would actually, she also taught drawing there. And you'll remember a couple of these stories. But I remember she often had um, nude models Right. down there. And uh, I would often come home from, you know, fifth or sixth grade with my little Girl Scout uniform on. I'd go down <laughs> in the basement to say, hi, mom. And there'd be a <laughs> naked model with the big boobs and the hairy armpits, you know. And I would just act like, oh, I'm cool. You know, nothing, in, nothing to see here, nothing unusual. Go back upstairs, have some cookies. Duncan, on the other hand. Yeah, my friend Billy and Andy and I had a different take on yeah. it. So. <laughs> they were uh, along one whole wall of the ballroom there it was all windows and mom was down there teaching one day and out of the corner of the eye she saw <laughs> three sets of little beady eyeballs peeking in through the <laughs> through the windows so somehow she snuck out there and she grabbed them all by the scruff of the well their collars and we were and all butch we all had shaved heads butch so had haircuts but she wasn't going to punish them she just brought them in sat them all down on stairs and gave them drawing materials and made each of them draw nudes yeah i remember and, uh, that that is well. such a mom thing to do <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny yeah but growing up in the house of an artist uh was pretty amazing um and i remember all those doctors coming over and that was the mm -hmm. lost wax what was that are, well, that, that's different. That's what you. That's cause a lot of times you that. do that for jewelry. Oh, okay. She knew a, an artist named. Um, his last name was Winston. Oh yeah. He used to do lost wax jewelry design. Uh huh. And lost wax is when you car first carve whatever in wax, and then you make a cast of it. Uh -huh. You melt the wax, and then you pour in the gold or whatever that will now fill up that mold. That's yeah. called lost wax casting. So eventually we moved out of the Piedmont, I mean, Berkeley House and moved to Piedmont, which was not a wonderful day in our life for many reasons. But yeah. 
I distinctly remember, and I was telling Sudi this earlier, going to get, after school, I'd, I'd always want to make a chocolate chip Dryer's <laughs> ice cream milkshake, and we had a deep freeze in the pantry or in the garage well you did this at berkeley too not oh, just I? piedmont yeah <laughs> so yeah. i would go get into the deep freeze and reach in to get the ice cream and inevitably i'd have a glob of oil paint on my arm because mom would make all these palettes um an artist would mix her own colors but and that she would put them in there so they wouldn't freeze no, she would put them in there to preserve them so they wouldn't dry out. Yeah, that's what yeah. I meant. And so the freezer, whenever you opened it up, always smelled like oil paint and turpentine. And that was always laying right on top of all the food, yeah. all the pallets. You wonder why we're toxic. <laughs> <laughs> really. <laughs> so, Sudi, you decided to be an artist. And we had a lot of various things happen in our life, as we all do. And they shape us. Yeah. But, you know, what... When did you decide, besides being a kid drawing pictures, that you were actually an artist? What was the field? And I know it's, well, it's pretty wild, but... You know, I... Um, well, first of all, when I was a kid, I didn't really think so much about what I was going to be. You know, I really was mostly interested in kickball, playing, being outside playing. And, you know, I mean, I was just being a kid. And I didn't think so much about what I was going to do when I grew up, but... I did art. I was good at it. AJ, our older brother, and when I was really young, I remember I'd have him take a black crayon and draw squiggly shapes. And my job was to color in all those shapes without going outside the lines. And I was really good at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not that that meant anything when you're three years old, but, you know, I was good at not going outside the lines. Anyway, any rate, um, so I, I didn't have any idea that I particularly was an artist. But when we moved to Piedmont... We moved there because of some difficulties our other brother was having, and um, and he ended up committing suicide probably about four months after we moved there, right after the school year started. This is in 1965. Five. Yeah. yeah, and I think Duncan has probably talked about this on the show for anybody that's, you know, listened that far back, but, but um, it was, of course a huge tsunami that swept through our house. Mom was the worst affected because AJ was her favorite child, number one. It was her, his, her first child, and she was just devastated. To be honest, she never really recovered. But at any rate, um, I would say about a month after he died, uh, uh, a woman that we didn't know but lived in Piedmont knocked on her door and said, I have received a communication from your son, and she had written it all down. And she was, um, you know, she turned out to be the mother of a classmate of mine. But and I, mine. and yeah, that's and right. Well, she you, had thirteen kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's good. That's the classmate of somebody. <laughs> yeah, probably AJ's too. Yeah, right. Uh, so she, so she wrote down this message. Duncan was too young. Mom and Dad were always fighting. So Mom showed me the message, and when I read it, it became instantly clear that it was actually from AJ that she had received. A communication from him and there were things in there that only AJ would know. Nobody outside our family, even his best friends, aunts and uncles wouldn't have known this stuff but here it was in this letter. From so, this lady that from never stranger. met us before no. that received this from our brother after his demise. After he died. And so I was, it was, it was like being struck by a lightning bolt. My, I was immediately galvanized epiphany, all this sort of stuff. And I became really sort of spiritually interested in understanding life and existence. But um, also I realized at the very same time there was something about understanding spirituality and being spiritual where uh, sort of right in that same lane I realized I was an artist. It really happened instantaneously, all of that. And from that part, point, and part of what I wanted to do when uh, I realized that AJ was still existing, not alive in a body, but he still existed, I thought, well, I want to be able to communicate with beings that don't have bodies. I liked that idea. I wanted to be able to do that. And uh, the other, other temp another thing I wanted to do was to, at least with my art, be able to exude joy or something along those lines in, in sort of like almost magic fairy dust type of a way not by making anybody think about anything important I just sort of wanted to be aesthetic and um, 
that's when I realized I was an artist. And probably within a week or two, I sat down to draw. I still have the first drawing I did. And it's actually quite good. Hmm. It's like I already knew how to draw. And you'd been drawing as a kid. I had been drawing as a kid, you know, dumb stuff, but not anything regularly. I just did drawing and, you know, when you had an hour of art class in whatever. But no, I did a pretty pretty good it was a sketch it was of an old I did it took an old photograph that I found and it was it was a decent looking drawing it didn't look like awkward awkward sketch what are you looking at oh I'm just watching my Facebook every once in a while I have to take do go to a technical thing here okay it bleeped out for a sec that's really interesting and I you know I actually remember when Mrs. the lady I won't mention her name here yeah I wouldn't yeah to the house and in the living room there was Mm -hmm. I was sitting there when she would tell her story I don't remember that yeah okay about you know and she described our brother as a kid walking around and kicking something with his foot you know I don't remember that either yeah that's and, how she saw him. Okay. And that's kind of how he was. He know? was only 16 when he died. Yeah, and yeah. I was 9 and you were 14, 14. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it's pretty amazing. And so, and you've gone on, you, you've gone on to have a pretty amazing career. You yeah. know. And back in the 70s, I helped you with a few prints. You did, when the Monterey Bay oh, yeah, that's first right. opened. Mm-hmm. Um, our good friend of ours was... Uh, he was the marketing manager He was there. the marketing manager, and, and you were going out with my best ex-best friend at the time, <laughs> who was his friend. Hi, Scooter. <laughs> You're listening. And uh, so you ended up doing... The, the first print you did was the... Um, kelp Forest. The Kelp Forest. Yeah, the, they commissioned me to do one print, and then I did a second one after that. And so the real cool part was Sudi called me up one day and said, hey, I'm, I have to go down to the aquarium at 6 in the morning before it opens and take a bunch of pictures of all of the um, aquarium things, and would you come hold the light for me? And I went, wow, I get to go, you know, and be there with nobody else there, and we can look at all the different exhibits. Oh, that was great being there. It was really fun. Until a week later, you said, Duncan, I got to go back and take more pictures. And I go, well, I don't want to go. She goes, no, you have to go. You helped me the first time. You're going the second time. Now, this time in my life, I was still you know, pretty young and I was still doing a lot of the things that affected my brain and I used them as pain meds at one point, but it got very addicted to them. So I wasn't really happy about going down to the aquarium the second time, but yet the the print is really amazing. Is it still in existence? I still sell it. I mean, it's sold out in its original publication version, which is as a lithograph and nobody even prints lithographs anymore. It's a older form of printing now. But um, now I print them as giclés, which is a French word, which means a fine mist. But really what it refers to is a very, very high quality digital print. That's mm-hmm. how I print now. And, but, but even back then, the lithographs you did were completely different than most people did. They right? were different, they yeah. They weren't a bunch of dots. They were actually lithograph with, with the... Um, Each color was a flat color and it had its own roller on the printing press with metal embossing uh foil stamping yeah, I mean. foil, yeah stamping. foil stamping yeah i mean a lot of the things that i the foil stamping where i would have a foil stamp that was like 15 by 20 inches it was insane to do that then and mm-hmm. now there's no way i could do it yeah i don't think any even big publishers would do it but you know i just and when i was in art school i got I got really enamored with, um, I started doing printmaking in art school and I got very enamored with uh, flat color against shiny metal. I started doing that in art school and then when I, and even in the paintings I did in art school, which were goofy, crazy stuff, um, I would do foil stamping or gold leafing gold leafing right on my oil paintings. Wow. And it was just, I was really fascinated with the interplay between that. And so when I finally got into publishing, which was many years later, after I had been an art director in an advertising agency, so by that time I knew all about printing and how to print and how to do foil stamping, then I finally got to do prints with foil stamping on it to, it picked up where I left off in art school. Oh, that's fun. This is uh, Dr. Duncan McCollum. I have my big sister, Sudi, here, <laughs> and I'm interviewing her. 
And uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to listen to uh, Lauren and Gaylene tell us about their TRT um, experience because, again, we are McCollum Wellness Radio, and I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to take a different path than they've been taking for their health if they're not happy with the results. So we'll be right back. You're listening to McCollum Wellness Radio. Hey, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum, and I have this amazing patient, Lauren, here, and she had a few things to say. Hi, I'm Lauren Spencer, a local realtor, and I've been seeing Duncan for years now. I had a biking accident, and he's been adjusting me since then, and it's been amazing. But lately, I've had trouble with my feet, and I'm an avid walker, avid biker, avid uh, golfer, and uh, my feet were aching all the time. And I tried Duncan's TRT machine, which is an amazing stem cell machine that rejuvenates uh, the cells. And my feet, I've had like three or four um, sessions with the machine and my feet are like new, no aches, no pains. It's a miracle. So I really highly recommend Duncan and his chiropractic services, but also that TRT machine. You got to try it. Wow. Thanks, Lauren. That was awesome. So we still have the $49 special. Come on in and see if it works for you. Thank you. Hi, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum, and I have this amazing patient, Gaylene, here, who walked into our office, well, barely walked into our office. Hardly able to walk and bent over. And within three visits, I was standing up straight, walking. I I couldn't believe it. That's never happened to me before. It's been a very rough (laughs) road. But we're getting there, and I'm very grateful. And you had two back surgeries as well, right? Yes, I did. Yep. In 1995. Yeah. And so they didn't really solve your problem? No, they didn't. And you came in, we did some stem cell treatments on you and some chiropractic on you, right? Correct. Yeah. So you're happy? I'm happy. Everyone here is just awesome. They're all here to help you. They're all so sweet. You should listen to Gaylene, see if we can help your health. That's right. Anyone that needs help, please come in. Thank you. You search and you search and you reach down inside. Hi, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum back. And, and I have my sister, Sudi McCollum, with me. And... Um, I just wanted to appreciate uh, Gaylene and Lauren for their testimonials on the stem cell machine. I highly recommend you try it. Um, so we are just kind of ab-libbing as I usually do, um, but I have my sister here today. And if, uh, I don't know that my cell phone's charging right now, so if you lose Facebook, then just go to ksco.com and you can uh, pick up the rest of the show. And also, you can always re-listen to them on McCollum Wellness Radio on Spotify, or that's my podcast on Spotify or Apple or any of those things. So we've been talking about our childhood, about my sister, Sudi, about our brother and how he, you know, passed away, took his own life at an early age and how it shaped Sudi's life. And um, also... My our mother ended up never recovering and had her own demise. Yeah, but you know the really the the real thing is that life is in us today and we got to create our tomorrow. So we have so many things that have happened to us that could stop us or make us decide to give up or that we don't have the stars to reach for. But you know, I mean, Sudi's story is pretty amazing. Um, we all have our own story, and it hasn't ended yet. So I really, as you know, in the past, I've I've asked you to write down on the left side of a page different parts of your life, where they're at right now, and then on the right side, what you would like them to look like, and mm-hmm. you know, ideally where they would be. And now you have a path, you have a a map showing you how to where you want to go. And any of us can make any changes we want. The song we just listened to is by Steve Funderburg, and it's uh, sung by Tony Lindsay, eight-time Grammy Award winner. Hmm. And uh, you, you can be free. And you can um, find that, look up Steve Funderburg, and you can listen to many of his songs on there. A good friend of mine. And um, anyway, so we're back, and um, it's really fun to be here. By the <laughs> way, I got a chance to go to the Giants opener yesterday. 
on my dad's 109th birthday. Oh, my God. April 8th. And he was there on opening day when Barry Bonds hit his 600th home run. I don't think he ever missed an opening day. No. Once he started working in San Francisco. Yeah, he worked for PG&E, and PG&E powered up, um, which was then Seal Stadium to begin with. And uh, he never missed an opening day since 1958. And he always told a funny story that he was at a game with, and it was right behind home plate at the time, with I think it was either Sherm Sibley or one of the, the one of the presidents at the time. Yeah. And they noticed that on all the light poles around the stadium, there were PG&E guys up there in their um, climbing gear doing nothing but watching, watching the, game. the game. Oh, I never knew that. I never heard that and story. And Sibley looked up at him and said, Jim, we got to get those guys off of there. This is not okay. And Dad said, you know what, Sherm? Just let them watch the game. It's good PR for the, for the, <laughs> the corporation. So he let them. They ended up being that. able to watch them. Yeah, so... Um, Anyhow, um, we're here, and uh, Sudi, you were going to talk about kind of, you know, I've been a chiropractor for a long time. As you know, we were talking to Michael Zwirling out front earlier today, and I didn't know that he went to Cal Berkeley um, for a, a mm -mm. stint, but and he didn't know that I broke my back. But I broke my back falling out of a tree um, on what's called Tightwad Hill, at age 12, with, in fact... Above Billy, the Cal Stadium. Yeah, about, with, in fact, Billy and Andy, who had to come paint the nudes with me. So. <laughs> it's the same kids. <laughs> and yeah. Billy may be listening today, so if you are, <laughs> right on. So um, what did you see, you know, change in me throughout this, this time? Did, and, I mean, you've known me from the get-go. Actually, you know, it's really interesting because Sudi was talking about liking fairy dust and all that kind of stuff earlier. How much did you... You gave me so much fairy dust in the day. I think it was chalk or something like that. <laughs> well, I used to grind my own fairy dust. Yeah. I would turn my little heavy convertible bike upside down and then use the pedals to turn the bike wheel. Uh -huh. And then I would grind up chalk or bark and mm. then throw it upon myself. And I'm pretty sure I flew a couple of times. <laughs> no that doubt. Was, that was the plan. But no, with you, I used to make god-awful combinations of anything that was in the refrigerator and... And you would drink it. You would be ha you would happily drink it. Just you know, so I can be included. Just so you can play. Five years younger. That was with me and Shelley Blaisdell. It's the so only way could. I could hang out with you. No, but I think you were talking earlier about how it was that you got into chiropractic. And what I was going to say is that I don't know if you did. You ever do any massage classes early on? No. Yeah, because you would whenever you and I hadn't seen each other for a while, and you come up and give me a hug, you would always uh, use your fingers and sort of press on my spine, you know, like you were sort of doing pressure points or something. And it was always like, oh, how do you go to the exact spot? And um, so I think you had a natural ability there. You know, I had a natural ability that didn't wake up until I was 14. I think you had a natural ability for, you know, the type of healing that you do as a chiropractor. But um, and so that was something that you did all the time you were working, doing everything else. But then it was that trip to... Um, Lake Almanor with Dad. And we it, had not been on a trip, you, Dad, and I, since Mom died, or before Mom no, died. No, we hadn't, you know, we all grow, grown up, we went away, we didn't, you know, we didn't have family vacations anymore, but that, Dad wasn't married to Harriet yet then, right? Um, this was before he married no, her. No, he was, but I think she, we did, just, she went somewhere else, so we took Dad The three of there. us went on vacation together. Yeah. And what did you, how did that come, the chiropractic thing come Well, up? I was, I had tried to go to chiropractic school before and mm -hmm. I'd failed. I dropped out because I couldn't read. Yeah. And, you know, in, in um, chemistry class, my chemistry teacher passed back the tests to have us self-grade and you gave it to the person next to you, which was a girl I like named Janie. <laughs> And he started berating the class and saying, you guys are not studying. You guys are basically told us we were stupid. And he goes, in fact, one of you guys spelled the word acid, A-S-I-D. Uh-oh. And then, you know, I'm looking at Janie, who's looking at my paper and realized that... That was you. I was illiterate and, you know, dyslexic and I dropped out of school. Yeah. Probably for the second time. But what I would say is you are always really smart. And uh, I remember when we were working in dad's wood shop once in the big house and we i don't know what we were building little wooden boats to float in a pond we were going to dig or we were building <laughs> something and um i you know i'm very two-dimensional i can do anything two-dimensionally on paper you know whatever that's how i think uh and i was trying to figure out how do we do something and you as a probably 
four or five year old said, oh, we do this. And I recognized at the time that you had a real practical uh, ability there of some sort or another that I didn't have. Mm -hmm. I was older. But um, yeah, so you, I didn't know, I think I had known that you wanted to get into some sort of you know, chiropractic school, right? Yeah. Well, but you'd given up on it. Yeah, I'd given up because I couldn't study. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of pretty heavy classes you have to take. Oh, I know, the become, science and everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because of breaking my back and being in pain, and basically I became addicted to street drugs, ultimately, because yeah. the drugs that, you know, my mom gave us or the doctors gave us didn't, didn't do, do anything. anything. And when you listen to Jefferson Airplane's song, White Rabbit, that said, go ask Alice, you know, that... I've decided to go ask Alice, and I <laughs> spent the next 15 years being totally screwed up on drugs. Yeah. You yeah, know, you and, were, and you that were pretty didn't gone. Help. Yeah, that didn't help my dyslexia. In fact, one time, I mean, you actually moved down to Santa Cruz from the Bay Area because you were concerned about my right. health and well-being. And that's when, uh, in that time period, is when you finally got off. I remember that. That must have been when we went to see Dad. Yeah. Stayed with Dad. Yeah. Yeah, because I think you had, you had finally had enough of a bummer. Yeah. That you were ready for a change. Yeah. In your life, and uh, and I had sort of been waiting for that moment from you for 15 years because yeah. I kept, you know, wanting to help, but could see that you weren't ready to. Wouldn't you say that's yeah? Correct? I just hadn't I gotten hadn't gotten bad enough yet. Yeah, you hadn't gotten bad enough yet, and then I could finally see this little dim light bulb starting to go off. And you said you thought you wanted to go back to chiropractic school, and I said, well, that's fine, but two things have got to happen. Number one, you have to get off drugs, and two, you're going to have to learn how to read. Yeah, and uh, and he did. Yeah, you know, he he did both. And and it's uh, the state. I I remembered a little. And bit you were different. an excellent student. In chiropractic college. Yeah. You got all A's and B's, I think, yeah, right? Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I remember I was, we were up there at the lake and I was rubbing some part on your back and you said, wow, you're so good at this. It's yeah. too bad you didn't go on to become a chiropractor. Oh, okay. I don't remember and that. And I went, yeah, you're right. And you said, it's not too late. Oh. And I swear that moment that you was said the moment. that, the light went on. Ooh, that it's gives not, me chills. Yeah. It's not too late. Thinking about it. So, you know, I love to play the song by Steve Funderburg. It's, you know, it's whatever it's called, you know, um, because it is. It, we can make a decision to change at any time at in any our life. At any time, yeah. We've, you know, and I look at, I'm 66 and you're a lot older than me, about 47, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think 47. <laughs> no, that's my chest sizing. Oh, <laughs> so uh, on a good day. Yeah, on a good day. Um, and I take a look at, Life and you know the passing of our friends. In fact, we're going up to see a friend of to a memorial tomorrow for mm -hmm. one of our best friends from the Bay Area from the Berkeley days, one of the three brothers. And um, life goes by so quickly, and it can end so quickly. Yeah, no kidding. And um, you know, I'm in a relationship with somebody, and I tell her, you know, look, I don't care what's going on. I do care what's going on around us and in the world but you know at the end of the day if if you and i spend time together and are happy together that's great yeah because tomorrow one of us can get hit by a car or something terrible can happen and prior to going up to lake almanor um i was had a lot of cocaine alcohol all of the marijuana i wanted and I had a music room because I loved playing music. And one night at three in the morning, and I've told this story before, I thought I had it made. I turned on my music and I was consuming anything and everything. And all of a sudden, I felt like my heart was going to stop. <sighs> and I literally felt like it was going to explode out of my chest. So I walked over to the cliff about a block and a half away. And I thought, if I don't stop, I'm going to die. And that was the definitive moment in my yeah. life where I decided to take a different path. I hadn't yet decided that it would be chiropractic, but shortly thereafter, we ended up at Almanor. Interesting. And then those two So you things. got to the point where you're, you know, it's a, you hear this about addicts all the time. Yeah. Unless they're ready to change, yeah. it's not going to happen. You can't just force them into it, and then they leave, and then they get hooked again. You, you yourself had to arrive at that viewpoint. Yeah, I, you know, and thank God I did, because yeah. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. I was yeah. on a quick path to, you know, just going under. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been really amazing though, being in this field for over 30 years and um, staying on top of 
Realizing, too, that, you know, chiropractic is a philosophy that the body heals from above, down, inside out, you know. Hmm. You don't need, the body doesn't need any help. It just needs no interference. That's a good So point. chiropractors remove nerve interference. But I've gone on to realize that chemical interference is huge. You know, we know that heavy metals are passed down four generations along with 278 chemicals they found in umbilical blood of children that haven't even lived outside the womb. Oh, my God. So a huge part of my practice is detoxification now. And I know that you've been working with a good friend of mine, um, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Hank, down in. Um, and what is your experience in this field? Well, I, I, the same, it's the exact same program. You're all part of the same doctor research group. Yeah. And um, I started on the medical detoxification program, I probably, along with a keto diet. And um, after about seven or eight months on that, I'd, and I was a little worried that I was going to have really horrible, you know, things come up as detoxes. I tend to have detoxifications that are a little wild and crazy. Nothing much happened, but then after about so many months, all of a sudden my entire torso was covered with big welts, hmm. big welts. I had about 80. Yeah. Um, all over me. And at first I thought, are these shingles? And a couple people said, no, those aren't shingles. I finally, I was so itchy all the time. And I finally went to a, a walk-in clinic and they said, oh, it's, it's bed bugs. And I said, I don't have bed bugs. I don't have bed bugs. <laughs> then, um, but I did get some Benadryl that at least helped with itching. And then I finally went to a dermatologist for my two month, two year, twice year checkup because, you know, we're fair. We should get checked up twice a year. You've never been fair. <laughs> I haven't. You always win. <laughs> I always win. Uh, and it turned out I was detoxifying chemicals. Yeah. Uh, so the metal part was not terribly traumatic, but it was some chemical that was coming out of my body. And it was like astounding because the skin is one of the major detoxification organs in the body. Yeah. But to see that happening, it's just sort of like, oh, it's alive. Yeah, it looks you know, like something out of Star Trek. Yeah, I have pictures if you want to see them. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And, you know, we see yeah. that a lot when we detox. And sometimes... Um, it may not happen for a few months, months into it me. or a yeah. year into it because yeah. these toxins are... They're deep inside your system. Yeah, in your brain. And, you know, mercury is one of the worst, the, um, the most toxic chemical on the planet. Is mercury? Is mercury, yeah. And you and I used to play with it as kids. In my hand. Yeah, we had it. We'd play with it in our hands. We'd put it on... Uh, dimes, remember dimes would yeah. absorb it. I know I put those dimes in my mouth too. Oh. And no wonder I was dys dyslexic because that mercury would, would shrink up Messed with th you. the brain um, neurons. And uh, I remember Bill and Andy, who we've talked about a couple of times, we would all butterfly hunt together and we all knew the name of everything. And then one day Billy came up and we were, I was looking at something like a common sulfur butterfly and he threw out some you know, Greek or Latin name for it. And I'm going, what? And he repeated it and I couldn't even perceive what, what he saying. was saying. And I remember kind of taking a loss at that time because I felt like I'm being left in the dust because I can't comprehend that kind of um, language. So do you think the dyslexia was partially related to toxic metals? I, I totally believe it was. I mean, I know they talk about autism yeah. as being related to toxic metals and probably other things too. Yeah. But I didn't know about dyslexia. Well, I mean, it's the ability to, to just think to clearly, think yeah. clearly, right? Interesting. And, um, you know, I remember also in first grade, Miss Dworkin, you know, I mm -hmm. made a C backwards on yeah. that big piece of paper. And I've told this story many times. And rather than come up and go, no, Duncan, do it this way a hundred times, I was immediately thrown into a confusion of, of di being dyslexic. And I went, they sent me to Ellen Reskov's school. Oh, did they say you're dyslexic? Yeah. I mean, they were talking that way. She diagnosed me as that in first grade after making, as in my memory. I mean, look at me now. I mean, I've, I've read, I've written six books. I've got yeah. a few more. But it's only because I finally had somebody explain how to study correctly. Right. And I had to go back and uncover all of the misemotion associated with failures in study. And that was... So glad that happened. Yeah, well, thank to, thanks to you because, you know, I was going to not go back to chiropractic school or even try again. But then, you know, after that time up at Lake Almanor and you said it's not too late and you helped me find the right avenue... Yeah, where to, to go. ...to overcome my study barrier, um, 
I'd makes up for all those bad potions you made me drink as a kid. <laughs> it was so and, much fun, though. And all those times you used to throw all the stuff you didn't want in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Duncan was a real slob. He was, he's a lot better now, but he was a real slob. And, uh, and I was always sort of, I had a little bit of a zen tidiness thing going in my, for myself. But if I had something in my room that I didn't really want to throw away, but I didn't want it in my room anymore. I just go to Duncan's room, throw it in, and just sort of remember what sector it landed in, because <laughs> then I knew I could go back five months later and recover it. And we lived in a big house. So that, that was a big house. That room was That huge. was saying something. I yeah. mean, you could, there was so much stuff. And I remember every once in a while when mom wanted to clean the room and friends would come over, <laughs> she'd enlist their help. <laughs> but no, we would, we would say, no, it was more than that. We'd go, we're cleaning out Duncan's room today. Anybody that wants to come and there would be, oh, this will be great a fun. A treasure hunt. <laughs> yeah, it was like a big archaeology adventure, you know. <laughs> Sometimes they'd find stuff they didn't want to find. Dead animals. Yeah. You had a pot of salamander under your bed once. Oh, yeah. A big pot of mud. They got away. Yeah. Poor guys. You had a dead rat hanging out the window from a string. Oh, You're I trying... wanted a skeleton. I know. I remember that. <laughs> a world champion trampolinist, Danny Millman, was living with us down below. Oh, is he... did he see that? Oh, he's the one that he saw told the... mom that there's a dead rat oh, hanging out of my window. I remember window. that part. <laughs> I never forgave him for that. <laughs> That's funny. But he wrote the book with The Wire Within and about 50 other books now. Yeah, they made a movie out of that. Yeah. I think a TV movie probably, but... Yeah, and great yeah. guy. I actually had a conversation with him. I remember that. Ago. So, anyway, um, we've just got a few minutes left here. Um, let's go ahead and listen to Pastor Mark, just so we can plug the TRT, because you guys are there listening to McCollum Wellness Radio. So, I want you to not, not, not take advantage of the offer for a $49 stem cell treatment in my office. We'll be right back. You're listening to McCollum Wellness Radio. This is Dr. Duncan McCollum here, and I have Pastor Mark with me. He came in and experienced the stem cell machine, the TRT machine, and he wanted to just go ahead and tell you a little bit of his experience. Yeah, I injured my knee years ago from sports and being dumb, and after the first stem cell treatment, after the very first one, I could do a full knee squat, and doctors told me that we want to replace your knee, and my knee would just ache just from sitting, and you've probably experienced that if you have knee problems, but now, no ache, I can walk without pain, and when I sit, I have no pain. And I just love it. I'd recommend it to anybody. It's terrific. When we looked at your x-rays, your discs and your knees look pretty good, too. Yeah, they're improving so much. I just love it. I can't wait for my treatment every week. Highly recommend it to anyone. So you'd recommend they do the $49 special to see if it will work for them? Oh, absolutely. That's what drew me in with the $49 special. I thought, I got 50 bucks to spend to just see, and it certainly has paid off. Call 831-459-9990. Thanks. You can be free. You can be free. You can rise above. Okay, we are back. And I see C. Funderburg is watching on Facebook. Stevie, that's your song. Thank you so much for allowing me to play it. It's an amazing song. I just want to say hi to Broccoli Bill. <laughs> yes, Broccoli Bill, <laughs> Scooter Boots, and all the other nicknames you had for him. Mm -hmm. um, so this has been really fun, and I hope that this has been inspiring to anybody out there who just feels like, there's something else I should be doing in my life. I've always wanted to try something new and different, um, but you just don't feel like you can get your feet off the ground to do it. Not and, too late to start. Yeah, and I'm here to tell you, I mean, a lot of you know my story pretty well. What, Sudi, would you say, you, anything that you've seen change-wise in me that you either knew that was there or you were glad to see come out? Just in the in the... Um, you mean in your whole life? Or? Yeah, in, in the yeah, in the scheme of people realizing that they can do whatever they want. Not be you know, not for my own edification, but overcoming obstacles to and I got so far to go still. Well, I think the main thing is, for sure, we've already talked about it, you getting over the dyslexia and being able to, to study. Yeah. You know, that was such a huge you know, that wasn't good for you when you were little. You you didn't go through high school. You barely went to school. Yeah. You just didn't even try. And so to see you finally succeed at study and to do so well in chiropractic school, that was huge. 
And uh, also, you're not as much of a slob as you used to be. <laughs> so that's a big improvement. <laughs> it only took how many years of you picking on me to make that happen? <laughs> no, you've got you've you've definitely changed that way. I mean, I don't know what to attribute all that to, but um, no, you're you're uh, you're not as talkative as you used to be. But I think you get more and more more talkative. In fact, I'm amazed that you do this radio show and you just talk away for an hour. But you've told me once that if I'm not around it, you can get more words in edgewise. Yeah, that's right. Trying to talk with Natalie and my daughter Natalie and Sudi in the same room. They go, well, why don't you say anything? I go, I try, but you guys just keep talking. There's I no more oxygen left in the room. <laughs> so... Um, Anyhow, uh, you can find Sudi's art at Sudi McCollum Design. No, dot com. Sudi McCollum does. Su, what is it? Just SudiMcCollum.com. SudiMcCollum.com. And what are you working on now? Well, you know, I, I, uh, just for my history, because I have a very eclectic background in art. I got a degree in fine art, and but then I went into graphic design because that just interested me more. And then from there, I started publishing art prints, um, had built up a whole publishing company, and then um, missed the graphic design business, so started doing illustration work, and then also product design, like rugs and pillows and dinnerware. But I'm really sort of back to what I consider to be my true place, which is the art prints. And... Um, so I'm, I'm back to designing art prints. And my art prints all have uh, sort of a Japanese woodblock print look to them. And that really feels like my most, my home base, mm -hmm. visually. So I'm, I'm doing that again now, now. You were talking about your cookbook? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, in one of my illustration projects, you know, if you're, if you're doing... How much time do we have left? Um, five minutes. Okay. Um, I, I'll just explain something because as a fine artist... You are sort of looking around into your own world and your own feelings and thoughts and what do you care about, and then that's what you communicate. Is that a fine artist? Is that's a fine artist viewpoint, like you do what painting. Is a fine artist? Well, somebody that's just doing their own art okay. and what they want to do. They're not yeah. trying to sell it to anybody, or not, I mean, not particular. They just want to express themselves. Uh -huh. If you become a designer, like a graphic designer or an illustrator or even a you know commercial photographer like Annie Leibovitz for Rolling Stone or you know you are not roaming around in your own world but if you're a good designer illustrator whatever you roam around in the world of your client and then you design for them instead of do if you're doing your own fine art you design for yourself but if you're a designer you design for somebody else i particularly never saw a difference between the two Hmm. A lot of times people always put the, you know, if you did commercial art, that was something less than fine art. I never felt that way because I have both in my background. So, but nevertheless, for me, I've finally arrived at a point where I just like doing um, my own art. After all of these things that I've done, all of which I've liked, I've sort of just come back to doing the Japanese art print look that I really prefer I forget what you asked me, but the, I think I answered it somewhere. Oh, the cookbook. So the cookbook was an illustration job that I did for, um, actually it was for two women who wrote, two women who used to work at Chez Panisse, that famous restaurant in mm -hmm. Berkeley. They, one was a chef and the other was, I don't know what, but it was a cookbook that they wrote and I did all the illustrations. I think there's 120 illustrations in there. Um, it was, it was the biggest job i think illustration job i ever had wow it was and where like, did they find that book uh, well it's called bold b-o-l-d and you know it's probably on amazon it's probably i don't know if they would still have it in barnes and noble i saw it in there once but yeah i think probably amazon would have it. i can't remember the author's names but bold is the name of the book and we find people are going down the aisles in Safeway, and they would find your design on things like... Oh, Bellwether Farms Bellwether is Farms. one that people recognize the most. That You see that in Whole Foods and... That's a creme fraiche. Yeah, all sorts of cheeses, yogurts. It's a little... Uh, there, I did a, a cow illustration and also a, a goat illustration because they have cows and goats. And I did some wineries and well, I was just going to say oh. I illustrated in a style to look like an early American primer, where they have almost like old-fashioned looking drawings. And I did that because it was artisan. It's an artisan um, 
place where they do, you know, hand, a lot of handmade stuff. So that was the look for that. And uh, what else did you ask uh, me? You, the wine labels that you've done and or... I've done wine labels. I've done... Uh, you did something for market over here. Oh, whole... What's it World called market. now? World Market. Yeah, I did a whole, illustrated a whole packaging line for them. Like I say, completely different from doing your own fine art. But I, I, I've enjoyed all of these different ways. And that was, this actually brings me to something you said earlier, or maybe I said it earlier. But, you know, if you have a talent and you can find all these different ways that you can do that. Well, I was fortunate enough to, I think I had enough drive and so much interest in design. that I, Oh, I want to do that. Oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. And I just, you know... I ended up doing art publishing, I ended up doing illustration, I ended up doing product design, and fine art prints. So, you know, you can take your talent and there's, I don't think there's any limit to the ways you can apply it. Yeah. And, and find new ways to apply it, wow. you know, as time goes by. Uh, that, to me, is a huge statement right there yeah. for anybody in any field. Find your talent and find ways to apply it and new ways to apply it. Yeah. And never find yourself with limitations. And, uh, you know, it's easy to say because life <laughs> kicks you in the teeth. Well, you have to be driven. You have to be somewhat driven. Yeah. And don't give up. You have to be, what's the word, uh, persistent. Yeah. You have to be very persistent. And I've often said, and I've put this in one of my books, I think, in uh, my Turn Back Your Biological Clock book, that our neighbor who passed away skiing, at his service, his daughter said, my dad always said, you can always try again, but you can only quit once. Oh, I never heard that one. Yeah, and that even gives me goosebumps hearing it again because... Who was that? Say, uh, Don, the guy lived next door to us and oh. up there on Flume. Oh, okay, that yeah. guy. Right, right, right. So anyway, we've got just a few seconds left. Um, it's been really fun, Sudi. Uh, That's fun. I should well, come up and do this more often. Yeah, we can do it. You know, we've, uh, if anybody, if you guys are interested in finding out more about our art, go to sudimccollum.com. And um, we'll have another show. It'll be fun. And um, all right, thank you all. We're going out with Steve Funderburg's song, and we'll see you all next week. If you enjoyed this episode of McCollum Wellness Radio, please share it with a friend and tell them one helpful fact that you learned today. Remember, the best way to learn is to teach.